0: Things that are must haves and some things that are nice to have. Must haves and nice to have. Some things that are essential, uh, some other things though that are nice but they're not necessarily needed. Now if we confuse uh, these two things we could end up only with the nice to haves and not have the things that are essential. However, right, if, if we are clear on that difference, if we're clear on what is must-have and what is nice-to-have, then we can enjoy the nice-to-haves without being defined by them, and we can direct our attention towards what is most essential. Uh, the, England, uh, no, yeah, yeah, the, the England rugby women's team uh, is the best team in the world. you know that? Number one team in the world. Has been since 2020. Uh, unbeaten since 2019. They they are phenomenal. Uh, They are really very good. There's there's a World Cup going on at the moment in New Zealand, and they are the strong favourites to win it. They've scored more points than any other team in the tournament. Uh, They've scored probably what will be the try of the tournament yesterday when they played Canada. Um, They are are pretty impressive. Um, However, um, all those things are nice to have. None of those things mean they will win the World Cup. What they need to win the Cup is that next Saturday they have to score more points than New Zealand in the game. Now, all of their background, their pedigree, their reputation, none of it means they have the World Cup. What is needed, the only thing needed, is they have to score more points than the opposition. That's the must. That's what is needed, that's what is essential. Now, if you want to get to London, uh, you must find a way to travel there, And you can... Travel in a luxury limousine, that'd be nice, wouldn't it? You could travel on the back of a rickshaw, that might not be quite so nice. But either way, if you want to get there, you've got to find a way, that's the must, you've got to find a way to get there. If you want to bake bread, you must use flour, water, and yeast. You must, otherwise you won't have any bread. Today, as we go through John's Gospel, we have reached a point where he records a conversation that Jesus has and this conversation is all about the must, the essential thing, the necessary thing. And it begins in verse 1 when a man comes to Jesus. It's important to see how this follows on from the end of chapter 2. Uh, at the end of chapter 2, we're told that a lot of people are seeing the signs that Jesus does, and because they see the signs they believe, that there's something that is lacking uh, Jesus knows about people. He knows what's really going on in people. And he says he didn't entrust himself to them. And, and chapter 2 ends by saying Jesus knew what was in each person. Now, th- now, literally what it says is Jesus knew what was in a man. And then chapter 3 begins by saying, and there was a man. Here's a man. J- Jesus knows about this man who comes to him. And this man who we're told has seen the signs, and so he comes to Jesus. And his name is Nicodemus. And we're told he's a Pharisee. He's also a member of the ruling council. Um, in the course of the conversation, Jesus calls him Israel's teacher. This, this guy who comes to Jesus is the, the top religious scholar in the land. And he comes. He comes at night, and maybe because he doesn't want to be seen, maybe because he wants to have some privacy for his conversation. But we know his question. He says to Jesus, Rabbi. We know that you are a teacher who has come from God, but no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. That seems like a pretty good start, doesn't it? pretty good opening line when someone comes to Jesus. Uh, But Jesus doesn't mess about at all here. Uh, As Nicodemus says that, Jesus knows what is in this man, uh, and Nicodemus is on the wrong track. Uh, Jesus is not just a teacher to learn from. Uh, the analysis that Nicodemus has of Jesus is utterly insufficient. I and mean, Whenever we hear anybody limit the importance of Jesus to what he taught, they are on that same wrong track that Nicodemus was on, and Jesus replies in no uncertain terms. See what he says? Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And in just one sentence, he demolishes everything that Nicodemus stood for. Look, that all the effort and the teaching of Nicodemus' life is undone in one sentence. Now, if anybody comes and says, Jesus is just a good teacher, we must look them in the eye and say, Jesus, that good teacher you've just spoken about, he taught, you must be born again. You must. That doesn't end the conversation with Nicodemus. It's just the beginning of the conversation. And the, the, the conversation that goes on is it, all about this one thing. One thing. You must be born again. Why? We, we can be a bit cynical when anybody says we must anything, aren't we? And people say it all the time, don't they? Well, you, you really must, must I? You really must try this new fancy. Mocker, chocker, latte, nonsense, Nazi like. stuff. no, no thanks, I don't want to, I like my coffee black, that's how I take it, shaken, not stirred, that's fine for me, I don't want to have that. You really must see this film, really? Must I, Dan Bagley? <laughs> um, says that all the time. Well, you know, you, you buy something online, and you think, know, yeah, I'm happy with that price, and you go through to a checkout, and they've added in some other things that you must have, some extra insurance or something. Really, must I have that? Must I? We're cynical, aren't we, when people say, you must what's Jesus talking about? What does this being born again add? What what does he mean when he says in verse 7, you must be born again? Well, well, he makes it clear what it's needed for. Verse 3, the condition of new birth, what is it required for? If You want to see the kingdom of God. If you want to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again, says Jesus. And Jesus doesn't have to explain the kingdom of God to someone like Nicodemus. With Nicodemus' background, his understanding of the Bible, the kingdom of God is common ground in this conversation. The whole story of the Bible is framed in terms of the kingdom. The the creation account is told as a kingdom story, that there is a great king, uh, God Almighty, who creates everything. And in the beginning, he creates a paradise. And he sits on his throne to rule over the paradise. And he brings all the blessings of heaven to earth under his rule. In that paradise, people were saved. In that paradise, there wasn't brokenness, there wasn't badness, there wasn't any shame. In that paradise, there was goodness, abundant goodness to be enjoyed. And in that paradise, there was promise. There was potential to gain immortal bliss. A good that cannot be taken away. But access to that kingdom was lost. (coughs) A deep shadow started to cover over human existence. Uh, And yet, as Nicodemus would know, Uh, Promises came about the kingdom being restored. Promises came about a king who would come and he would bring a rule. The rule of heaven to earth again and his kingdom would endure forever and ever. That's what Jesus speaks about. What is it then that is needed? What must happen for somebody to gain access into that kingdom? Nicodemus would have spent his life teaching the answer to that question teaching that if you want to get to the kingdom you need to obey the commands of God you need to be devoted to God that's what will get you into the kingdom and Jesus said no that's not what is needed you must be born again you must be born again you see the reason that people are not in the kingdom of God is because we're born wrong we're born with a a fatal birth defect and it's nothing but a renewal of everything that we are that will help us As this conversation kind of develops, uh, we can build up a picture of what Jesus says about our situation outside of the kingdom. Look down towards verse 19 at the end of the passage. We have this summary. The verdict. This is the verdict. This is the, the summary. This is pulling it together. The verdict is that light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. You see what Jesus says about people? He, he says we love darkness. Uh, and the reason we love darkness is because there's this, this twisting of our hearts towards what is wrong. We have a love for what is wrong. I don't know about you, but I think one of the the most baffling things that I find is is when people seem to believe that that everybody is somehow intrinsically good. It's so difficult to think, why do people keep thinking that when there's so much evidence against it? I I was reading this week somebody talking about the evidence against it, and he says, um, social media has given much evidence of it. We have overwhelming proof now that people are gossips, backbiters, slanderers and haters. People will condemn without evidence, go with the mob in tearing down others. People will proclaim hatred while insisting they are loving. They will silence opinions with name-calling of insults while claiming everyone has the right to speech. And it happens on all points of the political spectrum. No one is immune. We are hypocrites. Just one example, doesn't it? But we know that. We're not born right. We're born wrong. We don't love what is right. And we don't want to be found out, do we? We don't want anyone to know what we're really like. Now imagine if we came into the light and everything about us was revealed. If every thought, every desire was known by those around us. i would be sick of you, not It's not the opinion of others that matters. It's what God thinks. And this natural condition, this birth defect is, as Jesus says, that we are already condemned. Uh, the justice of God cannot permit the presence of evil in his world, so finally we will meet his judgment. We will meet his judgment. And I think Jesus sums all of this picture up of life outside the kingdom in one devastating word in verse 16. Our birth condition is, says Jesus, that we are perishing. We're perishing. And it's obvious, isn't it? Isn't it obvious that from the moment we take our first breath, we are just counting down to our last? Our bodies are not built to last. Our, our souls are wearing thin. And everything fails. There no, isn't life just the, the process of losing everything until finally we lose our breath. Uh, and nothing that we have can go with us. Uh, and then we will go and stand before the judgment of God and our evil deeds will stand against us and our perishing will be completed in eternal dying. And Nicodemus comes and says to Jesus, we know you're a teacher. Jesus says, no, that's not enough. Stop right there. If you're thinking that I'm just a teacher, you've got to stop right there because you must be born again. That's your greatest need. The urgent importance. Very truly, he says, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. This is what is needed most. It is a need of such greatness that it swallows up every other problem." think about the whole of humanity. What do people need? In every situation, what do people most need? For for those who are suffering injustice, for those who are placed in war or in famine or in slavery or in economic crisis, what do they need? Or or even for those who are enjoying their wealth and success and and prosperity and, and maybe all their hopes and dreams are coming true. What is most needed? Jesus says, you must be born again if you want to enter the kingdom of God, if you want a lived experience under the rule and the care and the protection and the blessing of God Almighty, if you want to see paradise fulfilled and restored, you must be born again. That is what is needed and without it, we're all perishing. Now whatever else is going on in our lives, whatever it is that soaks our focus, what it is that drains our energy, this is what matters. If you're not born again, this is the highest priority. If you're not sure what it means to be born again, you've got to find out. If you don't know how to be born again, you have to seek it like a starving man seeks food. You must be born again. But what is it? So Nicodemus, he, don't know, he doesn't know, does he? He's befuddled. Jesus says, you, you need to be born again, verse 4, and he says, how? Now, how can someone be born when they're old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. That's a gross image, isn't it? I'm much bigger than my mother. That's horrible. Uh, Nicodemus doesn't get it, so Jesus explains a bit more. But Nicodemus still struggles. In verse 9, he's saying, how can it be? And Jesus says, you're Israel's teacher. You don't understand these things. Jesus said, these are earthly things I'm speaking about. This is the the basic start. And you, Nicodemus, with all your learning and all your Bible, you don't get it. How can you understand if Jesus spoke of heavenly things? If Jesus were to unpack all the wonders of the kingdom and all its glory and what it means to live in the paradise of God, the indescribable happiness, if Jesus were to speak of that, Nicodemus wouldn't stand a chance. I think it gives us some confidence easy to understand. Let's let's see how Jesus explains what it is to be born again. We have this, our own story, our born wrong story, the exile from life as we muddle along in the shadows, a story, a a, a sorry story, a sorry tale of human perishing. Our story is challenged. And a new story is written, and it's a story that begins, as Jesus says in verse 16. It begins with the love of God. The love of God. The love of God is not not a vague sentiment. God's love is action. You see in verse 16, for God so loved the world. Not that he loved the world so much, but that he loved the world like this. This is the way that God loved the world. How does God love the world? He gave. God's love gives. And his love is for the world. It's important we grasp this. He loves the world. Because when John speaks of the world, he always means the world in a very negative view. But when he says the world, he means the badness of the world. He means the whole of humanity in rebellion against God. You see, when Jesus kind of spells out the badness of people in this passages we just looked at. That we're born wrong, we love darkness, our deeds are evil, we're perishing because of our sins. That is a gloomy picture, isn't it? You know, hard to imagine a more negative way of describing humanity. So when he says God loves the world, he's saying he love the world like that. The world at its worst. That the world when its wickedness isn't hidden away, but it's on display. That the world when the world is, is the opposite of what is lovely or lovable. That's what God loved. This love of God is is uniquely wonderful. Because it's a love that entirely originates in his own heart. It's not a love that gets drawn to the deserving. It's not a love that has to go because the object is so worthy. No, this love is the infinite ocean of God's goodness that desires to reach out to the very worst. He loved the world. The only reason that God gave his son was because of the love that not a gesture, not a sentiment, but an action. God's love acts. And what, what does his love do? We just come back to the beginning of this conversation when Jesus says to Nicodemus, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they're born again. Nicodemus has no idea what he's talking about. So verse 5, Jesus says it again, but in different words. The same point, but in a different way. He says, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. And being born again is to be born of water and the Spirit. And Jesus expects Nicodemus, with all of his background, to understand it. And there's so much in the Old Testament to help understand what it means to be born of water and Spirit. And maybe the most important passage is in Ezekiel chapter 36. In Ezekiel 36, God speaks to a people who have profaned his name among the nations. And then he says, I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you'll be clean. That's what Jesus means to be born again, to be washed clean from all sin, and to be given a new nature, a new heart, a a new spirit—hearts that don't love darkness but hunger to do God's will. Those are the people who will enter the kingdom of God. Those are the people who are made fit for paradise. And Jesus puts it another way in verse fifteen. Verse fifteen, he speaks about everyone who believes. May have eternal life in him. That may have eternal life in Jesus. You might remember how, how John introduced us to him at the beginning of the gospel, the first verse. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in him was life. And the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. Now Jesus now explains new birth as having eternal life in him. The one who, in whom there is life. We find life when we are in him. The infinite, boundless life of God that he has in himself. Which means there is no perishing. The eternal life is the opposite of perishing. The end of it. The, the shadow of corruption being blown away and being blasted away by the coming of the light. It's the, it's, it's the end of the endings. It, it, it's, it's the end of sickness and the end of sadness and the end of death. They're all just gone. That's life in the kingdom of God. And in verse 18, he says it's no condemnation. God's love acts. Not that God feels a bit warm towards us, but he acts. His love does. It's a doing love. And out of his love, he, he brings about this new birth. He brings this entrance into the kingdom, cleansed from sin, being made new. Being made new from the inside out into happy obedience to the goodness of God, to have life without perishing and no condemnation. God's love, does it? That's the kind of stumbling point for Nicodemus. God's love. see, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you, you must be born again, and he can't, he, he can't reconcile that with what he's understood. The, maybe the thing that that is baffling him most is that he thought he'd already done that. He, he didn't realise he couldn't do anything for it. He says, I can't climb back into my mother's womb. It's ridiculous. Jesus says, no, verse 6. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit gives birth to spirit. Now, I'm talking about, not talking about biological reproduction. But, but in the same way that we have no say in our fleshly birth, our parents produced us without our involvement, our new birth requires spiritual parentage where you can't contribute anything. He says it in verse 8. The wind, it blows where it pleases. You hear a sound, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. We know that, don't we? We see the effects of the wind. We know the wind is there. We don't know where it's come from. Jesus is saying you cannot give birth to yourself. And being born again doesn't come from you, it comes from the Spirit of God. It's a a mystery, it's a miracle. And Nicodemus, he finds this hard. What? I mean, he he couldn't play his part, He, he couldn't work a bit harder at keeping the rules. He, he couldn't climb up another step on the ladder to heaven. He couldn't do it himself. No Nicodemus. Just like you couldn't do anything about bringing your birth into the world at the start, you can't, int- you can't contribute anything to your birth into the kingdom of God. In this conversation that we have recorded here is about this one thing. You must be born again.
1: But maybe the, the take-home message
0: is this. You can How, how do we grasp hold of this? You know, like, like Jesus says to Nicodemus, if he speaks of heavenly things, we don't stand a chance. If, see, if Jesus was just a teacher, we could maybe learn some bits and pieces. But, but he won't allow us to limit him to just a teacher to learn from. No, he tells us he is a saviour to be saved by. And, and it's hard for us to grasp it. It's hard to understand how much we need to be saved. It, it's hard to understand how great it is to be saved. And, and so see how Jesus helps Nicodemus. Verse 13, he says, No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who came from heaven, the Son of Man. Simple point, really. Like only, only Jesus can help the Jesus is, is taking Nicodemus' attention away from what Nicodemus can do and to look at Jesus. This, this whole mystery of new birth, this new birth that's so essential, it's only going to come when you look at Jesus. And he explains in verse 14, you see? Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. You can read about that in Numbers 21. Numbers 21, the people had, had sinned and God had sent a plague of snakes into the camp and they were biting and people were dying because of the poison and they cried to God for mercy. And so Moses is told to build a bronze snake and lift it high on a pole so everyone can see. And God says anyone bitten can, can, can look at a snake and they will live. And Jesus is now saying that that event of the past is a picture, a picture that people who are perishing in their sin. They can look to the Son of Man when he's lifted up. And when they look to him, they will find life. That's the reason Jesus came into the world. He came into the world so that he might be lifted up. That he might be put on a cross. So that all who believe in him might live and not die. So say, verse 16, he restates it again he says in verse 16, on the basis the, the basis for, for Jesus being lifted up on the cross is that God so loved the world, the way that God loved the world was he gave his one and only son, why did he give his one and only son? You see it? That whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And from the love of God he gave his dearest and his his own beloved son, born into the world, so that he might be lifted up on the cross, that he might be condemned, that he might be punished for sin, crushed under the sentence due to the perishing, so that forgiveness and freedom and cleansing and renewal and life, indestructible life in the kingdom of God might be delivered to everyone, all who look to him, whoever they are, you know, the alternative couldn't be put more plainly, could it? You see that there are two options, there are only two options that Jesus gives. On, on the one hand, there is perishing, on, on the other hand, there is eternal life. There is perishing and there is eternal life. And what stands in between is whether you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. You must be born again. But you can't do it for yourself. stand more chance of performing your own heart transplant. <coughs> You can't cleanse yourself. The, the best we do will never be enough. You can't produce your own birth. But the hope that we have, is it, not in what we can do, but it's in what God does. The love of God that acts. The love of God that he gives his son to die on the cross. So that when you look to him, and that's all it is, just to look to him. We can't look to ourselves. But when we look away from ourselves and we, we look to him, we trust him, then we cannot perish. We have eternal life. We are born again. The greatest need that we have, the the need that swallows up every other need, our greatest need is to be born again, and it's a need that is met in the love of God who gave his son. Jesus is not just a teacher to learn from, he is a saviour to be saved by. But I guess the question is, have you been saved by? And God's love is mighty, but it doesn't force itself where it's not wanted. And verse 18 says, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's ordinary Son. Now, what about you as you sit here listening? Have you believed in the Son? Have you come to Jesus? Our passage ends by describing those who come and those who don't. Verse 20 says, Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. Now, someone thinks, I don't want to come to Jesus. I don't want Jesus to call the shots for me. I don't want to come on his terms. I'll stand on my own two feet. I'll do it my own way. So that's the person who will not come to the light. And the Bible says they fear their deeds will be exposed. They, they're not prepared to accept the Bible's testimony that their sinners sinners in need of a saviour. They're not prepared to accept that there is a saviour who would take their condemnation. Jesus' insistence on being born again means nothing to them. What about you? Does that describe you? There's the talk of new birth nonsense. But if it is, if it is, please stick around. And Nicodemus struggles in John chapter 3. But Nicodemus keeps looking at Jesus. He, he follows the journey of Jesus. He follows the journey of Jesus right to the cross, where we see Nicodemus again. And, and he's watched Jesus, and he's looked at Jesus, and he's thought about Jesus, and, uh, and his view of Jesus changes. But so that could happen to you. Verse 21 gives the other option.
1: Says, whoever lives
0: by the truth comes into the light, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. That's, that's a, a bit of a strange expression. Um, I think maybe some other translations might get it a little better. Put up the English Standard Version and the Contemporary Standard Bible. Um, uh, the ESV says, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God, not just in the sight of God. And the CSB, I think, gets it even better, so that his works may be shown to be accomplished by God. You see, see, those who believe in Jesus, who trust him, they come to him, they come to the light, because they haven't got anything to fear. There isn't any condemnation, and they want it to be seen that God has done a work in them. They want it to be seen that they are born again, not of themselves, but born of God. And not that their actions are now perfect, but there is a newness. There's a new principle. Their hearts are leaning towards God. And like the wind, we don't know know where it comes from or where it goes, but we know it's there. And and those who are born again, there is a mystery to it. And and we see the effects of the new birth. For someone who finds that they are drawn toward Jesus. and, And they do want to come on his terms. And for someone who, who knows, and maybe they're not even quite sure uh, kind of why they know it, or how they can reconcile it, but they know there is truth in Jesus. And, and they can't deny that they're sinners. And they're done with trying to cover up their own wrong. And they want to obey him. They, they want to be with his people. They want to listen to his word. And they, there is an aching to be rid of sin. And it might not be all those things at once. And sometimes it may just be that they want to want to have some of these things. But maybe above all of it, there is a desire that God gets the praise. That they want to come into the light to show what God has done. Well, that shows there is a work of God. The fruit of faith in Jesus Christ. New birth into the kingdom of God. So what about you? Now, if you're trusting Jesus, then you are born again. You have what is most needed. And if you have what Jesus says is most needed... If your greatest need is met, what difference does that make to everything else that we think we might need? Now Jesus shows there is a must-have. One thing that is a must-have. In light of that, everything else becomes a nice-to-have, doesn't it? If we have the must-have, everything else is a nice-to-have. Whether it's our health, or whether it's stress-free parenting, or, or being able to pay the bills, or getting through another week of work. Whatever occupies the worry zone in our minds, whatever soaks our attention in the week, But whatever measure of success we will use in the next few days, if we get clear on the must-have, and Jesus is clear on the must-have, you must be born again, and we can separate everything else into a nice-to-have category. Enjoy it when we have it, but we're not undone when we're done. Because you must be born again. You must be born again. And you can be born. asking the Lord about what is most important to you. that you are a God of love and a God of love whose love acts in giving your own dear son so that when we look to him we might not perish but have eternal life. So please would you fix us upon Jesus may we know what is most important and may our hearts be tuned to praise you. Amen. we are going to Thank you. and pray for them. it would be good to see you here. And Next Sunday evening, as I incorrectly said last week, next Sunday evening is going to be our seminar and we'll look together at what the Bible says about the subject of abortion. um, Six o'clock, back here. Uh, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen. Amen.